Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Nick and Jake. Welcome back to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about Carthage, the new dependency manager looking to dethrow CocoaPods. Now, you may remember that in the season opener, we mentioned that we were going to be joined by Justin Spar Summers for this episode. But unfortunately, he's since left GitHub, the creators of Carthage, to join Facebook, so he's had to cancel. But not to worry, as instead we're being joined by James Frost of Moobaloo, who's actually working on a Carthage tutorial for the site, so we're definitely in good hands. Now, before we get on to talking Carthage with James, Jake, obviously we've had um, Orta Therox, who works with the CocoaPods guys, on the podcast before. We've got some tutorials on the site that show you how to set up and use CocoaPods, as well as creating your own CocoaPod. And many of the samples that come with our tutorials use CocoaPods to install dependencies. So obviously, everyone over at raywendelit.com are big fans of CocoaPods. And I also know that you use CocoaPods often in your day-to-day work. So when something new like this comes on the scene... I was wondering like what kind of stuff it would so what features it would have that say CocoaPods doesn't have that might make you then think oh maybe you know this is worth a look. Yeah, the things that I I like CocoaPods. Uh, I don't love CocoaPods, but I like it and certainly in the absence of alternatives it's wonderful to have, right? I think the things that don't I'm not a fan of CocoaPods is the dependency on Ruby. And having to update Ruby and then update CocoaPods, it, it makes it feel very external to the to the Cocoa Objective-C. And not that that's a big deal, because, I mean, it's just a few command line, you know, you just have to type a few things into the command line to update it. But it does kind of fall out of, you know, every few weeks or whatever, it, there's a problem and you got to update CocoaPods. And it's not a big deal, but but it's not something that seems to just, you know, keep itself um, updated with, with, like, Xcode or whatever. And then it's... It goes in, obviously, and it changes. It creates your the workspace file. So first you set up, you've got your Xcode project file, and then you in, use CocoaPods, and CocoaPods installs a bunch of things, makes some changes to your, your project file, and sticks it into a workspace. And it has to do that. Like, there's really no... What CocoaPods does, it, it needs to, to do that process, but I've never been a fan of that. I don't like now that I have these two different files, either of which I can open. So I routinely, even after, you know... Using CocoaPods for years, I, I occasionally will open the Xcode project file and start working, and then it won't it won't compile when I want it to because it can't find the CocoaPods library that it builds. So I don't like that part of it that it has to kind of monkey with the Xcode project file. And so those are kind of a couple of gripes I have about it. Neither one is like you know a huge problem. If if a third party you know dependency thing came along that I didn't have to deal with those things, I would be I would be happy about that. So, what about I mean, you? Well, just before we got on to me, like to pick apart your comments there, I think the first thing that you said was sort of in the absence of any competitors. So I think that's quite nice that now we have somebody coming in. I mean, we can look at the differences when we get when we bring James into the conversation, but that's not only looking to challenge CocoaPods, you know, widespread adoption because it's the only one, and and you know, having a dependency manager, there is a real need for that. One thing I will say about CocoaPods that I 
not as eager to look elsewhere, even though competitors might come along, is that Cocoa Pods, as it has been around for a little while and is so widely used, it has become a source of information about third-party libraries. So if you want to know about a new library, you go to Cocoa Pods first, right? That's that's the go-to place when you want to learn about what's new and hot and what's out there for a particular to solve a particular problem. And kind of a new uh, comer to the scene may or may not fill in that need, right? If you start, not that you couldn't still use CocoaPods to find the library and then use Carthage to build it. You, in many cases, you could. But, you know, it's like Facebook, right? Like a new social network is not that appealing because every, everybody's already on Facebook. So it, it, there's this like network effect going on with CocoaPods, I think. Yeah, there'll have to be some huge advantage over using something else to sort of draw the crowds away. Right, something that's not offered by CocoaPods, and I think you bring up a good point there because CocoaPods isn't just a dependency manager. They've kind of built this whole ecosystem around it, where they've got the the online sort of search website where you can go on, you can type in something, and it'll give you, you know, all the all the pods that apply to that search term. They've got the docs, so everything that's got docs as part of the as part of the pod will be generated and available online so you get nice pretty docs for your project you can see stats around CocoaPods like online before you even install it you're not you're not having to sort of dive straight into the terminal to get this stuff up and running you can you can view it all online first which i think is really nice and it's the kind of thing anybody that's coming into that arena is also going to have to consider but i just wanted to i did want to sort of pick up your point um about using ruby because I think with any any new tool that comes on, either for experienced or inexperienced developers, like the barrier for entry needs to be low. And I think that's one of the downsides or pitfalls of using CocoaPods is that it does depend. Well, it depends on Ruby and RubyGems, which is the Ruby dependency manager. And it seems a bit unusual that you have to install a language and then install that language dependency manager to then install the dependency manager for your language. And practically, that's not a big deal, right? Because, I mean, my Macs have always had Ruby already. It still feels awkward, right? It feels unnecessary, and I think that's part of the awkwardness. It's like, why do I need to do this over here to then just to get this over, you know, somewhere else? Exactly. And the other thing that I don't quite like about CocoaBots is the first time you set it up, it, like, downloads the entire... Because, obviously, it's a centralized dependency manager, and we'll get more onto that what that means uh, when we're talking to James. But it downloads all the pod specs from the main pod spec repo on GitHub down to your local machine. Um, You don't see them because it's hidden in a dot folder in your home folder. But you've got, you know, you've got this huge repo downloaded the first time you set up CocoaPods and then it maintains that. So not only are you having to install a language app, you know, if you haven't got Ruby installed and Ruby's dependency manager just to install CocoaPods. It's got all this extra baggage that comes with it. Now, I appreciate that there are reasons behind this. It makes searching for pods faster, installing pods faster, that kind of stuff. But as with anything, you know, this kind of stuff, there is trade-offs. But it's the it doesn't, it's not overly obvious that this kind of stuff's happening in the background. Um, and it's not, it's not entirely clear on the site that this is happening. And I remember a while ago that they had the problem with the specs repo and because everybody obviously had a local copy they had to put a blog post up advising people to get rid of the local one and sort of reset up cocoa pods as the only way to get rid of this issue 
So you got all this stuff going on in the background and you've got all this baggage and extra stuff to maintain. And I think if anybody comes onto this scene now to tackle this um, dependency management, need to look and see if they can address this in a different way. And hopefully, well, you know, when we start talking to James about Carthage, um, it will have addressed at least some of these problems, if not all of them. I agree. I think a, a simpler approach, uh, there's a lot of appeal to that. Uh, obviously, with simpler, you're going to have probably fewer benefits. Um, but th- there's definitely, for me, that would be appealing to have a simpler approach to, to the problem. The other thing that I find that I find irritating uh, using cocoa pods, and, and we'll have to talk to James about this. Carthage may or may not. I, I suspect that Carthage could have the same issue. Is that um, the the do you commit your pods or not issue? Because anytime, like we, anytime you have a, a, more people working on the code, if they decide to, you know, install a pod that you don't have, and you're not committing your pods to the repo, which I think is the right choice. Um, you know, you go to run and it doesn't doesn't run, and you're like, oh, I got to do pod. You know, I got to update my pods. And yeah. again, it's just it's just one command line, just something you got to type in. But it's one of those things where it's like it's outside of the scope of your normal workflow. And so when it comes up, it's it's easier to forget, and it's it feels irritating when it comes up. So this is something that I've I've often wondered with dependency managers, because if you go back to using good old Git sub modules, if you use a nice graphical uh, interface for Git, something like source tree or Git tower. When somebody's pushed something to one of your dependencies, like you get the little number of commits that your local commit is behind. So every time you open up your Git repo, one of those sort of UIs, there's a visual indication that um, your dependencies are now out of date and that they need updating. With both CocoaPods and I'm assuming Carthage, because I believe it works through the uh, command line in the same way as Cocoa Pods, but again, James can hopefully clear this up for us. There's no immediate way to find out that your dependencies are out of date, or that in, there's a newer version that you might want to, you know, you might want to update to without just blindly running, you know, whichever command it is that updates and rebuilds your dependencies. There's those kinds of things where I'm like, ah, this it just. It just it feels like it's bolted on right to the outside of the normal workflow process, and I yeah so I, so I, for me I feel like if if Carthage makes if Carthage feels like it's just part of the workflow then that's going to be very appealing to me. But I'll understand if it isn't just because it's not coming from Apple. Okay, so talking of new contenders, let's uh, let's get into that conversation with James now. Um, just before we get into the details of Carthage. Can you first tell us a bit about who you are and how you first got started in iOS development? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I'm James Frost. Uh, I work for Moobly. I'm a senior iOS developer uh, and we are a mobile consultancy slash app developer in Bristol in the UK. Um, I've been programming since I was probably about seven or eight on my parents' B- uh, BBC B on basic. kind of been programming since then. Did computer science at university, uh, got my first Mac and started programming for the Mac. Um Picked up Big Nerd Ranch's Cocoa Pro- Programming for Mac OS X. Kind of switched over to the iPhone when that came out, really, because um, it was a, an interesting platform. And a few years later, I had a C-sharp job. Um, they wanted a, an iPad version of their desktop software. So I said, oh, I know iOS. <laughs> Got to do that kind of alongside my normal work, and that was enough to get me some commercial experience and then into a full-time iOS job. Fantastic. So what, what was it that persuaded you to move over to the Mac platform in the first place? Certainly at that time, everything just worked. <laughs> that what people said was true. You know, it was, um, 
I dabbled around with Linux and stuff as well, and it kind of had that that nice Unix aspect of it, but a really nice interface on top of it, I guess. And the programming environment for it and the frameworks and what have you were were really nice to use. Was this OS ten or was it prior? Uh, OS ten, yeah. Uh, I think I started on a twelve inch iBook, I think. Oh, okay. shortly, shortly before the MacBooks came out. So you've been a member of the RayWendelik.com team for quite some time now. So how, how did you first get involved in that? Um, well, I'd used the site for quite a while as a, you know, reading the tutorials and what have you. But one of my colleagues, uh, Rich Turton, also writes for the site. And I think after DubDub last year, I actually got to attend, which I, I'd never been before. And that was amazing. He mentioned that you guys were looking for people for the Swift update team. So I, I kind of signed up, not necessarily thinking it would go anywhere, but got in. And, and yeah, it's been it's been great. It's been really good getting especially with swift getting some kind of real world experience really and it's nice to see my name on posts on the site as well (laughs) so we're obviously going to be talking about carthage Uh, you've just listened to us talk for a few minutes about CocoaPods. i'm just curious if you use dependency management in your day-to-day job because i know some firms are against using like third-party code and some embrace it with open arms i'm just curious as to to what you find yeah we do yeah i mean obviously like you said about third-party code we kind of you know we don't just pull anything in we make sure we're using, you know, well-supported libraries and that sort of thing, AF networking and, you know, things that are fairly well-known. But we use CocoaPods for all of our dependency management at the moment. Um, we started kind of a couple of years ago. And, it, and it's worked really well. It's brought a lot of consistency across the team because, you know, everybody installs dependencies the same way now. Uh, we check in the source for each pod so that, you know, if we need to send code to a client or someone else needs to check it out, then get up and running straight away without needing to have CocoaPods installed themselves. Um, and our continuous integration server also does all the CocoaPods building for us as well. So it kind of, it generally works quite well for us, but we started doing a sort of a few Swift projects here and there last year. And we found it, you know, we had a few issues with CocoaPods along the way, I guess, because it took them some time to gain support for Swift and that sort of thing. So we, we've kind of been looking around and, you know, with a few of those projects, we've dropped back to just putting in source manually or, or using sub-modules in some places. You, as I mentioned earlier, working on a Carthage tutorial for the site. You, I believe you also did a, or you gave a presentation this week at one of the sort of developer meetups in Bristol on CocoaPods versus Carthage. So you're well-versed in this. Is it something you're going to be pushing at work to sort of reevaluate your use of CocoaPods, maybe move to Carthage? Yeah, I think so, actually. Um, a couple of our, our developers came along to meet up and, and quite like the look of it after after hearing me talk about it. I guess we'll get into some of the reasons for that later on, but yes, it definitely looks kind of quite attractive for us at the moment. So obviously we've we've mentioned Carthage a few times now, um, and it is the new kid on the block. So I was hoping you could walk us through how it differs from CocoaPods. Yeah, sure. So I guess one of the, the key uh, design goals behind Carthage is to be a lot simpler than CocoaPods. I think the, the guys who designed it said that what's CocoaPods is kind of easy to use it certainly makes finding libraries easy it's certainly not a simple solution and it in some ways Carthage is kind of just a simple wrapper around git and xcode build so it it uses existing tools so that's kind of part of their core philosophy it's also written in swift um, which is attractive to some people and it was actually kind of the first dependency manager I guess I suppose pretty much out of two but the first to work with swift and it works exclusively with dynamic frameworks which obviously is the only way to distribute swift code um, as a library so that makes it ios 8 only it, dynamic frameworks are really nice to work with and it's also decentralized as well which which has got some ups and downs to it um, there's kind of less maintenance behind that perhaps worse discoverability 
we I mentioned uh, when I was talking to Mick about the gripes I have with Cocoa Pods revolve around the issue of whether or not the pods should be checked into the repo. There are problems with checking your pods into the repo and doing that that way, and then there are also I think less severe problems with just having to keep your pods locally up to date and all, all the developers having to do that and not knowing necessarily when another developer has pulled a new pod in. How does Carthage handle that? And, and what do you think about that? So Carthage gives you the, the build products. So you get the binaries and you get the source as well. I guess kind of like, like CocoaPods. The guys behind Carthage say in some ways it's up to you what you do. The benefit obviously of having your binaries committed is that you've always got those available to you. So if someone else checks out the project, they're, they're ready to go. And the same with the, the checked out source, you've got that source ready if you need it in the future. Uh, at Moobly with CocoaPods, we always commit the source just because it does, it does make things easier if, if people need the project or for some reason if one of those dependencies went away in the future. And in my use of Carthage so far, um, I've, I've been committing those as well. I think it does make sense. Um, interesting, I was looking at, um, so GitHub have got a load of uh, template gitignore files that you can use. Um, and there's a line in there in the Objective-C and Swift one for Carthage builds. So they do, in there, they kind of ignore it by default, but there is a comment saying you might not want to ignore it yourself. But I think it, I think it makes sense to include it, to be honest. Okay, I mean, it does sound like there's valid, valid arguments either way. Uh, and I, I tend to find when it's like that, just kind of follow what the guys that create it do. And as you said there, like, if they if the GitHub provided get ignore files, ignore it by default, then... Perhaps that's their way of, so I don't want to call it a best practice because it's really just, you know, it was their internal tool that they built and then and then released into the wild. But, you know, if, that, if that's the way those guys are using it, then they've obviously evaluated the two different ways. But obviously, like you say, there is a there is value in having your binaries in source control as well because it means that you can check out and build straight away with without having to run any dependency management stuff to get up and running. Yeah, uh, one thing that's worth mentioning with the checking in the source as well, um, Carthage actually has a an option you can use that lets you check out the source as Git sub-modules. Um, so obviously that makes it much easier to include that code as a, as a sub-module within your project. So that's a, another option as well. All right, I mean, that's pretty cool. You sort of mentioned earlier that Garth- Carthage's goal is to be sort of the, the simple, simplest tool possible uh, when it comes to dependency management. And... I've watched a video that, uh, of a session that Justin Spar Summers gave on Carthage, where he goes into depth that simple and easy aren't the same thing, and how they're aiming for simple, whereas CocoaPods aim for easy. So I'm just curious how easy it is, <laughs> using that word, or how simple it is, I suppose, to get up and running with Carthage. Could you walk us through that? Yeah, sure. I find it really easy to be honest. So to install Carthage in the first place, Carthage runs as a, a command line tool much like CocoaPods. You can either install from a package installer which you can get from their GitHub or probably the preferred way is through Homebrew which I think works much better than using Ruby gems as you guys kind of identified. It does feel odd using Ruby and then using a Ruby package manager to install something that, you know, Ruby is kind of an implementation detail really. You shouldn't have to use their tool to install it. So Homebrew seems to make more sense in that in that respect. So yeah, Homebrew to install it. Much like CocoaPods, you then create a cart file, which is very much like a pod file. Uh, so that in there, you just declare your dependencies, uh, where they're coming from. So there's built-in support for GitHub and arbitrary Git repositories, wherever those might be. So they could be remote or they could even be local on your own machine. 
And then optionally, you can specify versions for each of your dependencies, again, much like CocoaPods. Once you've got your cart file in place, you can then run Carthage update. That will resolve all the versions of your dependencies, make sure it's getting the right versions of everything, check out all the source code, build them for you into dynamic frameworks. And that's kind of where Carthage stops. As you said, with CocoaPods, it would then create your workspace, create another Xcode project to build all of the pods to create static libraries and it kind of sticks all of that together for you. But Carthage just creates the binaries and then it's up to you to integrate them into your project. And that's that's very simple. It's just a case of going into your targets uh, build settings, dragging the dynamic frameworks into linked libraries and that's pretty much it. If you're doing an app store build, you need to add a run phase build script which strips out any simulator bits from the frameworks because there's there's an outstanding app store bug where those things can get rejected that's very simple to do as well and i think because you've you've added that script yourself you know you know exactly what it's doing whereas with CocoaPods, there's a lot of behind the scenes magic i guess that it does and that the the project that CocoaPods adds for you obviously has all of its own build settings for every static library you've got in there and so there's a lot of stuff you haven't created and you're not necessarily sure exactly what it's all doing that's something we've come up against with CocoaPods, I guess, in the past, is if something goes wrong with one of those build settings, whether it's provisioning, you know, code signing or architectures or something, it, it can be a real pain trying to fix that because it's not something you created. Doesn't CocoaPods build a single product that is then included in your... Uh, yes, as yeah. far as I'm aware, it creates a... It has targets for each dependency, I think, and then it creates all of those into one single pods, uh, pods library. But from what sort of inferring from what you were saying there, it would seem as though Carthage builds each one independently. Yeah, sorry, that's right. Yeah, so you get a single framework file essentially for each one. Uh, once you run Carthage, it creates a Carthage folder in the root of your project on the file system. Within there, you get checkouts, which is all the source, and you get a build folder, which has got those um, dynamic framework files in. So it's just one file to drag in for each dependency, which is quite nice. Now, you mentioned that you create a cart file. Is that in any specific format? Because I know the CocoaPods files are, it's not YAML. Or is it YAML? It might be YAML. <laughs> but it's, it is in some format, specific format that you need to, you need to put it in. Uh, yeah, Carthage is a, it's, they say it's a subset of Ogdal, which is the ordered graph data language, which is, you know, a simple way of specifying files like this, really. Uh, pretty much all I've seen that you for the most part, need to put in your cart file is a line like GitHub, name of the repository, and then an optional version. And that's pretty much it. Okay, and something else that I picked up when you were talking there, which I think is great, is that at some point in CocoaPods development, they added sort of private pod repos as a feature. But because you can point Carthage to any Git repo, like you said, you can even sort of use it locally. It it supports private stuff, and because obviously it's decentralized, it supports sort of being private out of the box, which is again a big advantage if you're using it in, a, in like a big firm or enterprise or something like that, which um you know like to keep control of that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I think there's again there's less infrastructure behind that. I suppose literally you just need a Git repository somewhere that has a Carthage-compatible project within it, and, and you're good to go. 
So I had a I had a question about some of the stuff you said earlier I, with Cocoa Pods, and, and I haven't used some of these features myself, but I just want to make sure that Carthage either does or doesn't do the same thing. So with Cocoa Pods, if you ask for something, and that r- depends on um, AF networking, we'll also install AF networking, right? Yeah. So so when it's going through that process of resolving your dependencies, it will check up check on each of those, um, and if they have car files of their own, for example it will check through their dependencies. Um, and behind the scenes, it basically builds up a dependency graph of all of your dependencies and their their own dependencies. Um, and it will kind of walk through, I think it starts with the latest version of each, each dependency. And it looks to see if that satisfies all the version requirements from the cart files. And if so, you're good to go. If not, it kind of throws that dependency graph away, chooses the next possible version. Um, of a dependency and then and then keeps keeps iterating through that process until it finds something that satisfies all the requirements so does every dependency in that dependency graph need to have a cart file i don't actually know that um <laughs> uh so dependency resolution is something that's fascinating and incredibly complex i think at the same time in that video we will put a link to this in the show notes it's up on realms site because it was a session that they gave at realm it does talk about the sort of dependency resolution, but it doesn't really go into it. Now, you would think that apart from Git submodules, that would be the only way it could. Yeah, I think I think that's the case. I can't see how else they could tell. Well, I mean, the, the only way those libraries can have other dependencies is if they are already built or there's source there to include in those dependencies. So you get that when you pull the source anyway, or they're declared through something like a cart file and fetched separately. We mentioned this word decentralized quite a few times. It being the opposite of centralized, obviously. And CocoaPods is centralized and Carthage is decentralized. Can you explain what that actually means and what the advantages and disadvantages are over a centralized dependency manager like CocoaPods? CocoaPods is centralized. As you mentioned earlier, they keep a massive repository of all publicly available pods, the specs repository. I looked at it the other day. It actually kind of breaks GitHub when you try to look at it. There's too many entries in there, um, so it kind of truncates it. I think there's over 10,000 entries in there now. So in some ways, that's kind of a central point of failure. They had that issue in the past where they broke compatibility with it, so you had to manually update it yourself. And and to get in that repo, any library maintainers have to create a pod spec file to put inside there. It has a load of metadata about it, essentially. You know, the, the title of it, what source files need to be built, all that kind of thing. And that's kind of an extra piece of maintenance that each uh, library owner needs to needs to take part in. Carthage doesn't do that because they said that, well, you know, Git knows a lot about your project and Xcode build knows a lot about your project. So they may as well just use that existing information rather than duplicating it somewhere else. And it also means in that respect that you don't really need to do anything extra to make your library Carthage compatible. All you need is a project that builds a dynamic framework and you're pretty much good to go. You don't need to add any extra metadata in. The, the CocoaPods approach does have some benefits. So as you identified earlier, it's it's really good for discoverability. So they've got the, the great search feature on CocoaPods.org where you can, you know, you want to auto layout framework, you just type in auto layout and it comes up with everything. They're doing a really good job now of tracking kind of the quality of each library. So I think they look at how often it's committed to, um, how much it's used, that sort of thing, the number of issues. Um, and that that's all great. Carthage doesn't have anything like that. And, and 
the creators of it kind of own up to that. They say, you know, it's the fact that it's decentralized does mean it's less discoverable. But what what I've been doing is is kind of using both really use CocoaPods to find stuff, and then Carthage to actually include it. And I was actually ch- chatting to author Therox the other day, and um, CocoaPods stats system actually tracks whether libraries have Carthage support. Nice. So if you if you search for something with CocoaPods search um, on the right hand side, you get basically a check mark for whether it supports uh, builds a dynamic framework. There's no way it's not exposed through the search necessarily at the moment, so you can't say only show me things that have dynamic frameworks. But it's it's, it's nice that they they actually look at that. So you mentioned there that all a developer has to do to make their library of code, I don't want to say project. Well, project, yeah, not necessarily an app, but some source code they want to make available to others. All they have to do is create a dynamic framework target and make sure the necessary files are included in that target and that's it, Carthage will do the rest. Yeah, basically you you need to make sure the appropriate scheme is shared from Xcode as well. Um, and then Carthage, the command line tool, has a command you can use called build, which um, will make sure that it can build your project, which is quite helpful for, for testing that. So sharing a scheme, I think we should touch on that because we fell foul of this when we were planning for RW DevCon. Schemes aren't committed to source control by default. It's only when you check, if you go into the scheme editor and you check that little checkbox that says shared, it creates like a XML file on disk with the, de- de- with the details of that scheme. And then you can commit that to source control. And then others that want that scheme can, such as Carthage, doesn't have to be obviously a person, it can be a tool as well, have then access to it. So, I mean, that's probably an important point to make. Occasionally, we don't do it so much anymore, but when we first had our uh, continuous integration set up at Moobly, people would often forget to tick shares, and then the build server just couldn't build anything. It's worth mentioning as well, the other thing you would want to do as a library owner is also make sure you do have tagged releases in your repository because, um, as I mentioned, that's kind of how Carthage determines a particular version. If I wanted to use some open-source project that wasn't maintained, that didn't maintain a podspec file for CocoaPods, then I would have to get in touch with the author, probably create a podspec file, um, send him him or her a pull request to get that merged into their repo and then they would have to submit that to the uh, master spec repo to get it included within CocoaPods. And if that author had no interest in CocoaPods, then maintaining some file in some foreign language seems like a big task or a big ask for you know for somebody else just so they can use their source code. But it seems that just creating a scheme and a target in that project is something that's far easier to deal with if you are a open source project provider that has no um, interest in participating in any of these dependency managers. So it might be an easier route to get people using Carthage and make their projects Carthage compatible because A, they're making something that they're already familiar with if it's just a target in, in Xcode and sharing a scheme. And secondly, like it might even encourage them to use dynamic frameworks, which you know has a whole host of benefits. But it, it just seems like, it, again, we were talking about right at the beginning, it's a lower barrier to get people to support Carthage because it's actually a lot less work and is 
the work that is involved is with tools and processes and things that they're familiar with yeah i think so um and i think if i was you know putting a library out there now you'd think dynamic frameworks is the way you want to go really obviously that means you can only support ios 8 and later um so that might might be a consideration there but yeah i mean it's worth mentioning with the CocoaPods example you gave your one other option there would be to create a pod spec yourself and then you can just keep that locally within your repository and you can point CocoaPods at that but then obviously that's something you've then got to maintain so still need some maintenance somewhere so if if someone came to you some somebody that maybe was less experienced and hadn't used either of the tools we've talked about today wanted to know if they should use Carthage or or CocoaPods what what would be your kind of advice or recommendation to them I think the kind of the really helpful answer is it depends. <laughs> it, it it depends on your infrastructure. So whether you've got you know continuous integration going on, how many developers you've got going, uh, what sort of environment you're working in, and I guess what version of iOS you're targeting, and whether you're using iOS or Swift. So Carthage obviously only works on eight and up because of the dynamic framework thing, and it perhaps depends on which libraries you want to use because. At the moment, there's still a lot more that support CocoaPods than Carthage. But that's not to stop you from perhaps forking one or doing a pull request if it doesn't support Carthage yet. From our point of view at Moobly, everything we've done till now, up until now has been CocoaPods. But I think we perhaps are looking to shift some stuff over, particularly on some of our, our newer Swift projects. It definitely seems like a more lightweight solution and, and, a, and a much simpler setup. Is there if if my project was Objective C only would that would that make you say lean more towards Cocoa Pods or are, are there is there parity there? Um, I mean, Carthage works with both. As long as the the library you want to use supports it, then then that that's fine. I guess probably I would I would look more at what iOS version you're targeting and that sort of thing. Um, I do think Carthage does seem to have a lot of a lot of benefits over Cocoa Pods just just for the simplicity. You know, like you said at the start, you've got the, the whole Ruby aspect of, of CocoaPods and the workspace file and all that that kind of extra complexity. But some of that's a personal or a, a team preference, I guess. So apart from your upcoming tutorial that we mentioned right at the start, where can our listeners go to find out more about Carthage? Um, so the, the GitHub pages are really good. So if you look at the GitHub repository, it's got a good readme. And there's another page on the various build artifacts. And then there's the talk that you mentioned given by Justin Spar Summers, which is uh, at realm.io. It's called Ruthlessly Simple Dependency Management with Carthage. Um, and that's a, a really good introduction to the tool and kind of some of the philosophy behind it. Would you say that's a fair summation as well? Is it ruthlessly simple? I think so for the most most part. Um, there's There's definitely not a lot of setup needed to get into it. I haven't really found many edge cases where it's difficult to integrate or or anything like that fantastic right well i think that's a good place to wrap things up so thanks again for joining us james it's been enlightening that's okay thanks for having me no it's it's been our pleasure and jake i'm curious as a a big fan of cocoa pods is your head turned uh yeah it, it is and it has been since the i haven't used carthage yet just because all of the the projects i've been on have been kind of other people's that have started it and so i've just kind of gone with whatever they did but i think the next time i need i have a project that needs dependency management and it's up to me i think i'll try uh, carthage like i say, I'm, ha- I'm happy with CocoaPods, so not not because i just i can't wait but i like to try carthage for sure so yeah i think i think i'll be taking a, a much closer look at it as well after chatting with james as usual any feedback just send that on to 
podcast at raywendelit.com. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode and we'll catch you again next time. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the raywendelit.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.